one of the things we've always been passionate about as a church community is being a place on Sundays where we can gather together and process together before God the deep things that affect us as human beings in the community in which we live. And this has been a couple of weeks for us in the East Bay as a national community, even as a global community, where our hearts are heavy with a lot of really hard things. And last week, we, we talked a little bit about the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the aftermath that's come out of that has been devastating as we've seen heartache and pain and protests and riots and just people in our community crying out for, for justice, for equity, for change, for transformation. And I think of a lot this week thinking of the Psalms where the psalmists cry out, how long, O Lord, how long will our society be the way that it is? How long will we experience this inequality and inequity in our land? God, how long Will people suffer the way that people have been suffering in this place? And so we do want church to be a place where we can come and bring our emotions and bring our hearts and bring this weight before the Lord. And one of my roles as the pastor here at the church is to help us to see how the scriptures connect with how we're feeling. And in a lot of ways, what's happening in the world relates to the scriptures in a really easy way. And we know what the scriptures have a lot to say about murder, a lot to say about acts of violence, about abuse of power. The scriptures talk about racism. The scriptures talk about evil and darkness in the world. The scriptures tell us that we are called to be people who are ministers of reconciliation, who pursue his kingdom wherever we go. I think one of the things that's even encouraged me personally this week is that the narrative across our land has been pretty unified with we need justice, we need equity, we need reconciliation, we need peace, we need life. We need Jesus to come. Today, I'm wrestling with what to talk about as a church. And, you know, this is one of those weeks where so many heavy things are happening. It almost feels like let's ditch what we normally talk about and, and talk about something really specific that relates to what we're experiencing as a church. You know, at the same time, we realize that we're not going to solve uh, systemic racism or attitudes or the culture of the place in which we live in 30 minutes on a Sunday. And so part of what we're doing as a church is kind of taking the long approach to, to some of the things that have come out in the last couple of weeks. I've had a lot of great conversations this week with folks in our community with all different backgrounds and a lot of uh, different folks who come out of uh of backgrounds of hardship and people of color and women and men in our society just saying, how does this intersect with where you are? What are some things our church can do to really minister to people well and help the kingdom of God transform this world? And so those conversations have started and we're putting some plans together of ways that we can be a church that moves the kingdom of all forward in these areas of concern that we've experienced. At the same time today, we need to come to the scriptures and say, God, what do you have for us? You know, it's, it's interesting. I don't, we know we don't believe in coincidence. And so when we looked at our schedule of what we're supposed to talk about this Sunday in this series on Joseph, the topic that we're addressing this week is a topic that I feel like totally connects with where we're at as a society. And that's the topic of reconciliation. We've been in this series for the last three weeks now. This is week four of a series called The Complexity of Forgiveness. And you may have noticed we haven't even talked about forgiveness yet. And I think that's because forgiveness is actually a pretty simple concept. 
Right? Jesus tells us that we should forgive those who wrong us. We learn that as Christians, we should pray the Lord's Prayer that says, every day, give me my daily bread. Help me to forgive those who've sinned against me. Uh, all those kinds of things that forgiveness should be a regular part of the routine of the Christian life. We teach our kids when they mess up to go to the person they've messed up again and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. We've taught our kids that when someone comes and says, please forgive me, we forgive them. Forgiveness is pretty easy in a vacuum. And so in the series on the complexity of forgiveness, instead of just talking about the act of forgiveness, we've been spending our time talking about the things that make forgiveness a little more difficult and complex. We've talked about betrayal in this series. We've talked about the backstory of betrayal, events of betrayal. We've thought about times in our lives that we've been betrayed, where relationships have fallen apart, where there's been an aftermath to betrayal. And as we've wrestled through these things, we've sensed, and maybe you've sensed, that in these cases, forgiveness becomes a lot more complex. Right? It's easy to forgive someone who steals your ball on the playground as a kid, but it's a lot harder to forgive someone who's ruined your family. It's harder to forgive someone who sinned against you in a way that's destroyed your life. It's hard to extend forgiveness when someone has sinned against you in such a great way that it continues to have negative ripple effects in your life, even for generations sometimes. And so as easy as forgiveness is as a concept, in seasons of deep betrayal, we've learned that forgiveness is a lot more complex. Today, as we turn our attention to the near end of the Joseph story, we see that the final mountain to climb is one that's even harder than the forgiveness and betrayal moment. It's the mountain of reconciliation. When Joseph stands face to face with the brothers that have wronged him, tried to murder him, sold him into slavery, and there has to come a conversation where Joseph decides and they decide, are we going to unify again and be reconciled to one another? Now, if you've experienced betrayal in your life, you know that reconciliation is the topic that a lot of times you're not even ready to talk about. And someone has sinned against you in such a grave way that the last thing you want is to be in relationship with them again. Someone has exerted force against you and you're scared of them and you've gotten away from them. It's unsafe for you to reconcile with them again. And so reconciliation becomes something that is beautiful, but it's difficult and complex. And in the Joseph story and in your story, and even in the world as we experience it today, we know that reconciliation is something that is necessary and beautiful so many times, but it's hard and it's complicated. You know, as we look at the narrative of what's going on in our society this week with protests and calls for justice and, and murder and racism and anger and vitriol and all of this stuff happening all over the place, one of the, the positive words that starts coming out is this word of reconciliation. How can we get to a place or how can we get to a place where people in our country are able to connect and unify and be together and be in a just and equitable society and culture with one another where it doesn't matter your background or your race or where you came up or anything like that, but we can be truly one. Is reconciliation possible? We know that it's a beautiful and lofty goal. But this morning as we approach the scriptures and this evening as we approach the scriptures, we're going to look at this concept of reconciliation. We're going to talk about its complexity and why it's difficult and why it's hard, but why it's so needed and important, especially in our world today. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 42. Uh, we're going to look at Joseph's reconciliation story with his brothers. 
And uh, we're going to make our jumping off point here right at the beginning of chapter 42. So find it. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of the backstory, and then I'm going to read verse 6 for you. And if you're taking notes today, I'll give you something you can write down right now off the bat, which is this. This is the biggest thing that we see as we approach this story. Reconciliation is not as simple as it seems. Right, We hear this story as it comes up of Joseph encountering his brothers, and, and we think this is a, finally God's going to bring it back together. They're going to reconcile again. It's going to be this beautiful, simple act. But as we start to look at the story, we realize that reconciliation is actually a very difficult task. You know, we've talked about this. There's a backstory. There's a betrayal moment. There's an aftermath of that betrayal. And in Joseph's story, we see him in chapter 42 with an opportunity to reconnect with his brothers after a long season of hardship and betrayal and damage to the relationship. It all started with Joseph having these dreams, if you remember, of his brothers coming and bowing down before him. His brothers didn't like those dreams, and so they attempted to murder him, right? His brother Judah has this great idea that maybe instead of murdering him, they should sell him into slavery. And so Joseph's brothers sell him to a slave trader who brings him to Egypt. Joseph lands in Egypt. His brothers move on with their lives, and he's left for the next 13 years to languish there. He tries to get ahead in Potiphar's household. He ends up in prison. He tries to get ahead in prison. He ends up forgotten. Two years later, Joseph gets called up by the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh has an opportunity to talk with Joseph about uh, the dreams that he's having. Joseph and the Lord interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and Joseph gets escalated to rule the land of Egypt. Part of the dreams that the Pharaoh is having is helping Joseph to foresee that a famine is coming. And so he says, over the next seven years of good, let's take extra grain. and let's store it up. And then for the seven years of hardship, we'll be prepared for that. And so seven years go by, seven years go by, and all this hardship starts to happen. And back in Israel, where Joseph's brothers live, they start to experience famine and they get hungry. And when they get hungry, they get desperate. And when they get desperate, they pick up their belongings and they start to head towards Egypt to beg for food. And Joseph's brothers in chapter 42 of Genesis They end up before him, and they bow down at his feet. Listen to this. This is verse 6 of Genesis chapter 42. It says, Joseph now was the governor of the land of Egypt, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. You know, if you've been reading this whole story, if you've listened to my synopsis of the story, this would very quickly pop up the dream Joseph had at the very beginning of the story. And and Moses even here says that as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. Uh, And then in verse 8, he says, although Joseph recognized them, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. He looks back to those dreams he had initially with the 12 heads of grain bowing down to him. And Joseph thinks, wait, this is what God had foreknew decades ago. This was the moment that God was preparing where someday I would stand and my brothers would bow before me. And so now Joseph has an opportunity to look down at his brothers and say, hey guys, You tried to kill me, but look what God did. It's going to be amazing. And they can hug and move on with their lives. But reconciliation is not as simple as it seems. Joseph, as we read through this text, we see that there's a little bit of conflict there. There's a lot of emotions there. There's been a lot of baggage there. There's a lot of hardship there and anger there. And there's a lot of time that has passed. There's a lot of sin that's been committed. And so it's very hard to just go back into real life like this even when reconciliation becomes an opportunity, right? You might, might have an opportunity in your life right now, right? Where someone has sinned against you and, 
and hurt your life in so many bad ways. And you're wondering as I'm talking, wait, is God calling me to reconcile with my husband who left me? And you think, I don't know if it's time for that. That just seems, that just seems wrong. That just seems hard. That seems like not what I'm supposed to do. Right? You might be in a situation where you've been at the hands of an abuser and, and you've tried to forgive, you've tried to let go, you've tried to let this person move on, and now I'm talking about reconciliation. You're thinking, wait, hold on, like, am I supposed to go back to the person who abused me and re-enter into relationship again? And you're realizing that this is way more complex than just a simple hug and move on with your lives because reconciliation, it's not as simple as it seems. And where we are in the world today is, is very different than Joseph's uh, situation. In Joseph's situation, there was people who did one act of aggression against him that spun him into a spiral. Time passed, the power dynamic changed, and now Joseph is able to come back to his brothers and extend grace or mercy from his position of authority. But that's not what's going on in our world with racial reconciliation, is it? Or what we see is there's a backstory here. It's not just George Floyd. That wasn't the beginning of acts of hostility in our country. That's not the beginning of racism in our country. When we're talking about racial reconciliation in America and racial reconciliation in our church and in our community, we realize that this is a, a long story, that the last few weeks are just a blip in the last few hundred years of the timeline of our country. There's a backstory, there's aggression, there's betrayal, there's uh, policies and procedures and legislation that have kept people oppressed. There's a ton of factors that have created this system where you can't just forgive and forget and move on. That even as we talk about things like racial reconciliation, reconciliation is not as simple as it seems. If you've tried to be a, a minister of reconciliation in your community, you've learned that, that you can't just go down and have a couple conversations and boom, all of these racial issues and tensions in society are over, right? You can't just post an Instagram post and all of a sudden, boom, racial reconciliation has happened. This is not as simple as it seems. And as Joseph stands before his brothers, we can sense the weight of that. As we watch how Joseph responds in the next couple chapters, we can sense the weight of that, that this is a, a complex issue filled with lots of pain, and you can't just flip the lights back on and go back to normal again. And my question is, as I look at this text, well, what's God trying to do here, right? What, what is the role of God in this passage? And one of the things that we've seen as we've watched the Joseph account these last several weeks is the hand of God doing amazing things throughout the entire story. Right? Joseph's thrown into a pit. God saves his life. Joseph's thrown into Potiphar's house. Someone tries to betray him uh, and God saves his life, right? Or I guess he goes to prison, right? In prison, God raises him to the top of prison. In Potiphar's house, God raises him to the top of Potiphar's household. Every time humans try to betray Joseph, God makes something good happen. And so the question we've been learning to ask as we've gone through these chapters is, okay, what is God trying to do here? What kind of good is God trying to create? He's trying to figure out this narrative where people can be in unity with one another. How's he doing it? What's he doing? What is God's work in the passage and the story of Joseph? And here's what I see. I see that as we watch God work through this narrative, we see that God has a master plan to someday reunite this family, to someday bring provision to the Hebrew people, to someday bring some, some growth and some life and some vitality back to this relationship again. And God's hand is working to move that narrative forward. 
Right, even in this famine narrative, God is controlling the weather patterns of the world where all of a sudden these Hebrew people need to come all the way to Egypt to get food and they encounter the one person in Egypt they've met who happens to be the man they betrayed, right? The moral of the story becomes you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God is trying to push forward the ball of reconciliation in this passage. And what I see as I read this is that God is using the events of the world to create opportunities for reconciliation. Now, I wonder if we could look at the events of the world that are happening these last couple of weeks and say, I wonder if God is using some of these things that are happening as opportunities to create uh, reconciliation among us. You know, obviously, we would not say that God is trying to kill people through famine. God is not throwing Joseph into prison. God was not the one who tried to murder Joseph, right? God is not the one who caused the murder of George Floyd. God is not the one who is causing unrest. God is not the source of racism and evil. He's not the author of evil. But what we do learn about God is that when people mean things for evil, God even uses the fabric of those events to try to bring forth something good. And the good that God is trying to bring forth in this passage is a moment where Joseph and his brothers can reconcile and become one again. So that's why I'm wondering as we look at the events of this world, if one of the things that God wants to do in you, one of the things God wants to do in our church community, one of the ways that God wants to use us as Christians in our local community is maybe God wants to use the events of our world to create opportunities for people to reconcile with him and reconcile with one another. You know, this is not just something I'm pulling out of a couple chapters of Genesis, right? If you read the entire Bible, the whole story of the Bible is God using all the events of the world to create opportunities for human beings to reconcile with him and reconcile with others. Right, the very quick version of the entire Bible is that God created the world and created humankind to live in perfect relationship with one another, with him, and to take over this world for his kingdom. But sin enters the world and brokenness happens. The people's relationship with God is broken. The people's relationship with each other is broken. And over and over in the book of Genesis, we see God trying to bring people back together again with him. God trying to bring people back together again with each other, but they keep rebelling. So sometimes in the Old Testament, through judgment, God pushes people away and says, now come back and try again, and they fail again. And over and over again, there's brokenness in relationship. There's brokenness in our spiritual relationship. And God just keeps trying to bring people back together with him and back together with each other until finally, when the time has fully come, at the end of the Old Testament, at the beginning of the New Testament, God sends forth his son. And Jesus enters into the world to be the final say of reconciliation between humankind and God. And Jesus dies on the cross, gives his own life to reconcile human beings with the Father again. And then Jesus sends his spirit to infuse the church as people who will grow together and be this community who love each other, who are unified, and so who start living out God's mission in the world. This min mission, the Apostle Paul calls, of being ministers of reconciliation. And we see this image go throughout the New Testament until the book of Revelation, where it says, someday a day will come where people from every Every tongue and every tribe and every nation sit at the feet and kneel at the feet of Jesus and worship together as one unified community, reconciled with their God, reconciled with each other, and being bearers of his kingdom, ruling and reigning with him forever and ever and ever. The trajectory of the scripture is the way that God is working to reconcile human beings to himself and to each other through Jesus, through his spirit, and he controls 
everything in this world towards that end. And so I am not just saying that Genesis 42 teaches us that maybe sometimes God uses the events of the world to create opportunities for reconciliation. What I am saying is the trajectory of planet Earth and all creation is God pushing all things towards a day when reconciliation happens. And so this is the theme that God weaves into everything that happens. And my challenge for you this week, as you're wrestling with maybe your role in all this and your response in all this, and even maybe asking the question of where is God in all this? My challenge for you is to look at what's happening in the world and ask, well, God, how, how can you use me to be someone who brings reconciliation into my world this week? How can you use me to be someone who reweaves the fabric of brokenness and doesn't cause more division and fighting? How can you use me to unite to people who are different than me, not depart from people who are different than me? How can you use me to make this conversation move forward so that this world does become a more just and equitable place where people of all nations and all tongues and all tribes, like we see in Revelation, can weave together into one community? I know we believe that as a church, we already have that. But I think we're learning right now that there's way more division beneath the surface than maybe you even imagined in your life. And so if God's primary work in human creation is reweaving connection between him and each other, how can you be a minister of reconciliation this week? What can you do to partner with God and not fight against him in this battle this week? Because if we're going to ask, what's God want to do with all this? We see in this text and we see throughout the scripture that God uses world events to create opportunities for reconciliation. Yeah, I know that's easier said than done. You know, right, where did we start? Reconciliation is not as simple as it seems, right? You can't just walk across the street and meet someone from another country or walk across the room and talk to someone who doesn't look like you and all of a sudden, boom, you've solved uh, generations of inequity in our society, right? It's not as simple as it seems. And we see that even as we look at this text, that Joseph is standing before his brothers and they're bowing before him and he recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And this could be a very simple moment where Joseph just says, guys, it's me. I forgive you for trying to murder me, right? Let's hug, let's move on. But it's, it's difficult. And so Joseph looks down and he, he doesn't really know what to do. We see that he gets emotional a couple times. We see he kind of starts toying with his brothers a little bit, right? They, we don't see a lot of judgment call on what he's doing here, but we see that he kind of puts them through the ringer if he calls them spies and they, to say, no, no, we're not spies. Then he sends them home. He puts silver in their sacks. Then he brings them back and then he forgives them. Then he sends them home and says, bring your last brother, right? And it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And they kind of start spinning and reconciliation doesn't feel like it's happening, right? We look at this story and we see that it seems like God is trying to reconcile this family, but it's just hard, right? Because Joseph can't create the reconciliation. They're, they're caught off guard in this whole thing. And it's just kind of spinning as this weird stalemate for a couple of chapters, right? If you've ever had this opportunity in your own life, you know that this happens, right? Maybe there's someone in your past that you had this falling out with 
and you went on with your life, they went on with their lives, and you kind of split up for a while, and then God, through a course of world events, right, kind of brought you back together again. You saw them at the gym, and they moved back, right? Or you saw them at church, like, oh, wow, it's you, right? And, and you thought, well, maybe this is an opportunity that we can uh, kind of put the past in the past and reconcile, and you started that dance of trying to talk, and they're trying to talk, you try to have coffee, try to go out, and, and you're kind of bouncing around for a while, but you're still hurt, they're still hurt, there's still the elephant in the room, and, and it's just hard to break through and actually experience some real life. You know, if you're going to go out this week and try to be a minister of reconciliation, right? Maybe you're going to go and, and, and hang out with somebody who's from a different background than you, right? Maybe in, in the racial inequity of our society right now, you're going to find someone who represents a different side of this conversation than where you land, and you're going to sit down with them. You think, okay, maybe we can work through this, but the conversation is going to get awkward. It's going to be hard. You're going to feel like you're putting your foot in your mouth or they're going to do that to you. You're going to be offended. You're going to want to yell at them. They're going to want to yell at you. Right? It's going to get weird because all of these things that have been building up for a long, long time and have been part of the fabric of your life and our society for a long, long time makes it so that reconciliation is not as simple as it seems. So we look at this text and we see that these guys are bouncing around and nothing's really moving forward and nothing's moving the reconciliation ball forward until finally something changes. And it's interesting that the person who actually kind of flips the switch on the opportunity for reconciliation in Genesis is, is Judah. Right? If you remember, Judah is the one at the beginning of the story who actually came up with the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. If there's a chief perpetrator in the Joseph story, it's his brother Judah. And yet as Joseph and all of his brothers are going back and forth and having a hard time re-entering into relationship again, and it's just kind of spinning and circling the drain, we see that Judah starts getting cut to the heart because Joseph brings up this idea and he says, you know what? I'm going to send you guys back to Israel, but I want you to leave your brother Benjamin with us. And, and Judah is realizing we can't leave Benjamin here as a slave in Egypt. My father will never forgive us. He's going to die. We can't do this. And so they're trying to barter with Joseph and Joseph saying, I'm not budging here. And they're spinning and they're spinning and spinning. And then finally Judah says this in, in Genesis chapter 44, verse 33. He says, right before that, he says, if I don't bring Benjamin back uh, to my father, I'm going to bear the blame before my father all my life. So he says this in verse 33, now then, Joseph, please let your servant, let me, let Judah remain here as your slave in place of Benjamin and let the boy return with his brothers. And Judah gets to a place where he's like, you know what, I I don't know if he's thinking about what he did to Joseph in the past. He's like, I cannot sell another brother into slavery. I can't do this again. My father will never forgive me. He's going to die. I can't have that on my conscience. And so finally Judah comes to a place where he says, you know what? Please let Benjamin go home. Let my brothers go home. I'll sacrifice myself. I'm going to sell myself into slavery. The story of the gospel that is the foundational story of the Christian church is a story of a God who created this world for beauty and justice and equity, who created this world for people to worship him as a unified community, who created this world to be a place where he could dwell with his people. When we went astray, when we messed this place up, when we brought evil into it, he started the process by stepping into our world. Philippians 2, right? says that Jesus humbled himself, made himself nothing, 
and died on the cross for the sins of mankind to open a doorway for reconciliation between God and mankind and mankind with each other. God has already started the process of reconciliation, right? If you are not reconciled with God, he did his part. Your part is to humble yourself. Be willing to sacrifice your own agenda to step before God and say, God, I need to be in relationship with you. Right? Really what we're talking about today, becoming people who act humble, who sacrifice ourselves, all we're saying is walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Right? Jesus made us ministers of reconciliation. What that means is that we walk in the pathway that Jesus walked. And this week, if you want to take something and meditate on it, wrestle with it, write down this phrase. If you want to see reconciliation happen in our world, move into the conversation with a humble, self-sacrificial posture. That's all you got to do. Look at the example of Jesus. Look at the way that he sacrificed himself to bring reconciliation between human beings and God and follow in his footsteps. Care less about yourself. Humble yourself. Be willing to be uncomfortable. Be willing to sacrifice yourself for the sake of something bigger and more glorious. Unification between human beings creating the kingdom of God here on this earth. We know a day is coming that God, as he works by his spirit, he is going to bring together his people to worship him in harmony and unity and equity and beauty and justice. Our job in the meantime is to become more like Jesus, humble ourselves, sacrifice ourselves for the sake of reconciling men and women with God and for the sake of being ministers of reconciliation here on this planet. You know, as we close today, we get to do something really amazing, which kind of encapsulates this whole thing, which is the communion meal, right? Communion is a time that we remember the humble, self-sacrificial act of Jesus in giving his body and his blood for us that we might be reconciled with God. But one of the most beautiful things about communion is it's a time where we partake in these elements together, that we come together as a church family and we say, you know what? He is the head. He is the one who's done all the work. He is the glorious and beautiful one. And yet we at the feet of the cross are all one in Christ Jesus. We eat from the same loaf. We drink from the same cup. We hold these elements and we know that we are all parts of the body of Christ. And no matter what our background, our upbringing, our culture, our race, anything, we are all one in Christ Jesus as we hold these elements. So if you're prepared for communion today, all we ask is that you are a believer who has released your life to the Lord. If you have been forgiven by Jesus and you know him, while we move into this next song, grab some bread, grab the cup, hold it in your hands, and we'll come together and we will partake of these elements together.